If you have your Bibles, please turn to Job chapter 18. I suspect you've had disagreements and arguments with friends and family. And it seems like they don't hear you. And oftentimes, people continue the argument because they think that if you just hear me, you'll agree with me. And apparently, because you don't agree with me, you don't understand what I said. So I say it over and over and over, not really changing the argument, but saying, hopefully you're so dense that eventually you'll get it and you'll agree with me. That's kind of what's happening here. Job's friends are convinced of their theological principles that are set in stone and are universal. And Job is saying, no, I'm a man of integrity. I'm innocent in this situation. And your arguments about that the evil suffer, I've pointed out times when evil people have been prospering. So your arguments don't make sense. And they keep coming back at him and arguing the point. And again, that's where we are in this second round of friends' discussions. And so in Job chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Then Bildad, the Shumite, Shuhite, responded, How long will you hunt for words, show understanding, and then we can talk? Why are we regarded as beasts, as stupid in your eyes? Oh, you tear yourself in your anger, and for your sake is the earth to be abandoned or the rocks to be moved from its place. So Bildad's argument is, you're coming up with lame arguments. You ought to just kind of think about it and come to the conclusion we've come to. And once you do that, then it's worth having a conversation. But at this point, you just don't seem to see the, the matter. And he goes, are you the exception to the rule? Is is everything supposed to be said in the world except for you? Which is a good argument, not in Job's case, but in Will. There are a lot of people who think the rules don't apply to them. Applies to everybody else, but doesn't apply to them. And so that's kind of their argument here is that the Job is thinking he's the exception to the rule. And then he goes on after having this personal attack of Job, he says, Indeed, the light of the wicked goes out, and the flame of his fire gives no light. The light in his tent is darkened, and his lamp goes out above him. His vigorous stride is shortened, and his own schemes bring him down. For he is thrown into the net by his own feet, and he steps on the web. A snare seizes him by the heel, and a trap snare shut on him. A noose for him is hidden in the ground and a trap for him on the path. All around, terrors frighten him and harry him at every step. His strength is famished and calamity is ready at his side. His skin is devoured by disease and the firstborn of death devours his limbs. Now he's getting really personal because he's talked about the firstborn of his death. Well, Job has lost his children. They're now died. He is being devoured by his skin with this disease. He is torn from the security of his tent, and they march him before the king of terror. 
There dwells in the tent nothing of his. Brimstone is scattered on his habitation. His roots are dried below, and his branches is cut off above. Memory of him perishes from the earth, and he has no name abroad. He is driven from light into darkness and chases and chased from the inhabited world. He has no offspring or prosperity among his people. Again, bang, he's nailed him with a personal tragedy and loss. Nor any survivor where he sojourns. Those in the west are appalled at his fate, and those in the east are seized with horror. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. Here's the problem with his arguments. Certainly, in the end, all of these things will take place for those who do not know God. But it does not necessarily mean that while they're on earth, that things will be difficult. As Jesus and others in the scriptures have said, good things happen to unrighteous people. But his argument, again, it, this last sentence falls short because he's not telling Job something as far as Job knows God. And that's the fallacy in his argument. Job is a believer in God. God is one that Job has served and so diligently that he even offers sacrifices for his children in case they committed some unintentional sin. Job was a follower of God. But they're so convinced they're right, they don't see the facts. They're simply there to condemn Job is not alone. If you have not been, you will be sometime in your life. People will accuse you of things you didn't do. People will judge you, even though in the next breath they'll say, but don't judge me. They will be convinced that they're so righteous and right, and you're such a bad person. And we have seen that Job has gone up and down in emotions and, and questioning and feeling abandoned. And let's face it, we're no better than Job. When those things happen, oftentimes we say, why me? And it isn't fair. And usually the response to people around when you say it isn't fair, is, who told you life was fair? Not a lot of sympathy, but you get that. Who said life is fair? And it's a truism. Life isn't fair. Some people get some great stuff that don't deserve it. And some people get a lot of chicken bleep. And don't deserve it. But it lets you know who you are in those situations. And so when people, either in the past or in the present or in the future, talk over you and past you and don't see you, you have a friend in Job. Job is commended not or a steadfast lack of emotion, or his questions, or asking God, why does God do these things that he does because he's innocent? In James, Job is commended for his endurance. You don't win a race, you don't finish. You can have I'm an old person, so I'm going to say the 100-yard dash. Nobody runs a 100-yard dash anymore. It's a 
meters or whatever. I have no clue what that is and don't want to know. So at a 100-yard dash or 100-yard meter, whatever the thing is, you can have the fastest first 99 steps. But if you stop before the finish line, whoever crosses it first is the winner. So when you have questions and hurt and doubt and you don't know what's going on and why would God allow this to happen, you don't lose the race as long as you keep on keeping on. Job's endurance. And so Job is going to go, and he's going to go up and down again. He's going to make some fantastic statements of faith. Chapter 19, it says, Then Job responded, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? You see, if they were truly Job's friends, there was, well, that's not our intent. Our intent isn't to torment you. Our intent isn't to crush you. Our intent is to lift you up and encourage you to bring you back to God or do whatever. Let us hear what you, but they keep coming back and saying, you're a sinner. You deserve all these things. As a matter of fact, you deserve worse. You're lucky because God has forgotten a lot of what bad you've done. These ten times you have insulted me, and you are not ashamed to wrong me. He's going, you've been personal to me. I'm going to be right personal back. You have made this about me. You've made it, not made it about my circumstances. You've not made it about how can we be of assistance in your situation. Even if Job were, quote-unquote, the sinner, and we come across people who are the sinner, if we only tell them they're the sinner, what have we accomplished? We need to give them the other side of the story, which is Jesus died for their sin. There is hope in your situation. But they don't offer Job any hope. They simply offer him judgment. Even if I have truly erred, my error lodges with me. If indeed you want yourself, if you vaunt yourselves against me and prove my disgrace to me, know then that God has wronged me and has closed his net around me. Now here's where he's saying, you have made this personal. You have condemned me. You have crushed me. You've had these things, but it's God who's doing this. And remember how I keep saying over and over, do not exchange what you know about God for what you don't know about God. Job knows that God is just. That's why he keeps saying, I don't understand why this is happening. It's not fair. If I just have a hearing with God, he'll understand. But so you see, his injury, his tragedies have caused him to doubt what he knows about God, that God is just. So because he knows God is just and Job knows that he is blameless, then something else has to be happening. But because of his emotions and because of how he feels, he misses the truth of that. And so there are oftentimes when we know things about God, we then stop knowing those about God and start to question. And so one of the things that in our current culture, everybody goes, 
God loves me. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. And then when something happens in our lives, we go, why is God mad at me? What did I do wrong? Rather than saying, wait a minute, I know God loves me. I'm sure of that. So therefore, it's not what's happening is because he doesn't love me. There must be something else happening. Maybe he's refining me to make me more pure. Or maybe he's going to show something of his grace and he's going to manifest his glory in my suffering. Maybe there's something else happening. Do not trade what you know. And the problem is, even in this world of currently, we are so in, we forget that God has other attributes. All we ever hear about is how God loves. Jesus is our boyfriend. Just ask him for stuff and he'll get it. He just can't live without me. I mean, um, there was a song playing on the radio and we were driving and, and I, I, when the song was playing, and, and I don't dislike the song, the song was great. But it was talking about how much God loved me. And, and I turned to my wife and I go, what did God do before I was born? Because we are so egocentric that, that God loves me. No, God loves us. God sent his son to search out for us and bring us home. But he loves us. But even with that, we still sidetrack the fact that because God loves us, when something happens, we forget what we know about God. God is also holy. The scripture says God is love, but it also says God is holy, holy, holy. That's three. The emphasis, he's holy. Maybe we should think about that. We also need to think that God is a God of justice and a God of wrath, and he hates sin. And he's going to deal with it. And he's dealt with it for us because he sent his son for us so that our sins might be forgiven and covered. But we're so convinced that God loves us that we do what most children do. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So we go, well, you know, I, God probably doesn't like this, or I know God doesn't like this, but I know how forgiving he is, so I'll do it and then ask for forgiveness. As Paul said, may that never be. That's not the point of his forgiveness. So Job will endure, but sometimes he forgets who God Behold, I cry, violence, but I get no answer. I shout for help, but there is no justice. Yet. Yet. Job's story is not over, and your story is not over. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has put darkness on my path. He has stripped my honor from me and removed the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. And he has uprooted my hope like a tree. He has also kindled his anger against me and considered me as his enemy. His troops come together and build up their way against me and camp around my tent. He has removed my brothers far from me. I'm, I'm going to stop there. Notice again, he's complaining about what God has done to him. Now our God, 
is the love of God. But God can be whoever God wants to be because he's God. Sometimes we, we have this idea, well, my God would never do, but well, your God isn't God. God is God. But since God is God, he gets to be whoever he wants to be. Thank God he is who he is. That he's loving, that he's merciful, that he's forgiving, that he sent his only son to save us. He is that God. But just because you're you doesn't mean you're entitled to super privilege. We are truly blessed because he blesses, not because we deserve it. It says, he has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. He's saying, now let's talk about relationships. My brothers don't have anything to do with me. And people who aren't even my friends, they avoid me. My relatives have failed, and my intimate friends have forgotten me. When bad things happen, people tend to avoid me because they think it might wear off. I don't know how many people I've ever heard Say, I don't go to hospitals because I don't like them. Well, let me give you a clue. The people in the hospital don't want to be there either. They don't say, hey, you know, instead of going on vacation this year, let's check into the hospital. The food's great. They wake you up every two hours to do something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. But that's how, so people will avoid situations. He's going, they've done it. My my. My intimate friends, the people that I thought, they just have forgotten me. Those who live in my house and my maids consider me a stranger. Now he's getting burned. The people who are going to left, who are his employees, his servants, they treat him like he doesn't exist. He's a stranger. They don't look, respond to him. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call to my servants, but he does not answer. I have to implore him with my mouth. He's going, please, you know, get me some compliments. Do something to, to make my skin better. But they avoid me. They don't respond. My breath is offensive to my wife. I can't even talk to my wife because she doesn't want to have halitosis. And I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even young children despise me. And young kids are probably the most receptive because, you know, they'll come up and say hi as to strangers and they, their eyes will bite. But even children go, avoid this dude. He's bad news. I mean, so even the innocents despise him. I rise up and they speak against me. All my associates abhor me. And these I have loved. And those I have loved have turned against me. So again, you ought to be able to know how Job feels. Because oftentimes your friends and your family is nowhere to be found when you're struggling. Or even if you're not struggling, sometimes they're just nowhere to be found.
My bone clings to my skin and my flesh, and I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. This is an, an English euphemism, which is interesting, that comes from the Bible. I was once told by a teacher that I got a bee in horticulture by the skin of my teeth. That was the first time I ever heard that expression. What he's saying is, you don't have any, that's how narrow it is, because you don't got any skin on your teeth. So it's that close. Pity me, pity me, oh you, my friend. So he's saying, instead of judging me, instead of having all these arguments, understand where I am. Even if you condemn me, at least say, man, I, your situation's terrible. They don't pity him. They condemn him. For the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Here's a pivotal statement. Because you've got to remember this. The last tragedy that Job experienced was the taking away of his health. And that his skin was in such condition that he took broken pieces of pottery to scrape his skin. So he's saying... You're not even satisfied with my flesh being torn off. Then Job makes one of the most outstanding statements of faith in the entire Old Testament, and I would argue in the entire Word of God. One of my favorite passages. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. He's saying, this is a permanent statement. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what's happening. I want this to be written and acknowledged and even written on rocks so that they're permanent. This is how convinced I am. I'm not just saying these words. I want them to be written in iron and lead and on a rock. As for me, I know. He didn't say I think. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job understands that he has a Redeemer. The scriptures talk about a kinsman Redeemer. It talks about those who are there to either get you out of debt or to pursue in criminal situations. There are those who redeem you from those situations and Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. May not be today, may not be tomorrow, but there will be a time and it is certain that he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, and again, his skin is falling apart, he's scraping it. So he understands that this body is fainting away. Yet from my flesh I shall see God. He makes a statement. My current situation is the only relief I have is to put ashes on my body and to scrape them with broken parts of them. But there's going to come a day when I will have flesh 
and I will see my God. Whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart thinks within me. He's saying things are bad now. My body's falling apart, but I am going to see God in the flesh someday. Now there are those who say, you know, Job really isn't talking about resurrection and whatever because the word of God hasn't really informed anybody of all that. And so he doesn't know what he's talking about. They're, that's gobbledygook. Let me tell you why I know. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice Jacob, I'm sorry, Isaac, the Old Testament, as far as Moses' writing hadn't been written yet, the law hadn't come yet, and yet Abraham and Isaac knew exactly what Abraham was doing. He was preparing a offering that was a burnt offering. There's no instructions on how to do this. He just said, go sacrifice your son. And he takes the wood and he takes the fire and he takes his son. And even Isaac, the son, knew exactly what's happening. He just didn't know where the lamb was. Because he knew enough. So don't tell me that the people of faith don't know what God's doing. Abraham is later said, when you get the stuff before Isaac was born, he said, when you've been dead 400 years, you'll see it. And it talks about a resurrection. May not be a bodily one, but there is something happening. David in Psalm says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, the second king of Israel, back in the 100 BC, knew there was a resurrection. Nobody had to wait for Jesus' resurrection. Again, the Sadducees didn't believe it, but the Pharisees did. They just didn't know exactly. It wasn't until Jesus and then Paul explaining our new bodies and all that stuff that we had a more full understanding. But there's this sense of contempt for those who went before because we're so evolved and we're so intelligent. The Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans built massive structures with no heavy mechanical equipment. They weren't stupid. People of God aren't stupid. They know the plan of God. They may not have all of it, but they understand. And Job, even in his most critical, said, God's silent and God seems to be against me and whatever that may be, but I know what? I have a redeemer. He lives. He will take his stand and I will see him even though I have wished I was never going to be born, I've wished that I could die, I've wished all these things, he comes to the conclusion of saying, even though, I don't, even though I've traded what I know about God for what I don't know about God, I know this, God will raise me from the dead. And I'll get to see him myself. I don't have to have somebody in Shul say, hey, you know, I heard there's a resurrection and everybody else got resurrected. And no, Job says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in the resurrection. My heart faints within me. I mean, that's awesome. If you say, how shall we persecute him? And what pretext for a case against him can we find? So now he's going to say, okay, I know I have a redeemer. You think I'm guilty. I have a redeemer who's going to redeem me. And I'm going to see him at the end. 
you have persecuted me. You have said or pretext a case against me. And he goes, then be afraid of the sword yourself. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword so that you may know there is judgment. Job here says what Jesus tells us. Judge not, lest you be judged. He says, my friends, you have judged me and you have judged me wrongly. Be careful because you will receive judgment yourselves for this. By the measure of your judgment, it will be judged to you. God is fair. It's just not over yet. The righteous sometimes profit and sometimes fail. The unrighteous sometimes profit and sometimes fail. But God is just and will do what is right. So the two things we need to remember, God loves you. Nothing can separate that from us. We have a hope that even though our body may disintegrate during our lives, there is hope because he will give us a new one. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Starting with verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Praise God. No more pain no more sickness, no more suffering will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O, o death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The battle belongs to him. And we win even in death. And I don't care how you pass this world. In one piece or scraping your skin off, he gives you a new body. It's not going to be perishable. Now, Job had an understanding that his body would be different. He may not have had a full understanding of Paul. He knew who God was. And because of that, his hope in the victory, even over the grave, that he would see God. That regardless of what his friends thought, his Redeemer would be there. And he would see. We too, will see our redeemer when the trumpet is sound and the dead of Christ will rise first. Then we who remain will be caught up in the air and so shall we ever be with them. What a hope we have. So when things don't seem fair, 
when friends and family hate you and avoid you, when people seem to judge you, when it seems that you can't be relieved for a minute from the pain that you experience in your body, know that God has overcome. And he's victorious. You hope in him and endure, 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 endure. So that no matter come what may, great times, bad times, I trust him. Not the good times, not the bad times. I trust him. And maybe that's the point of this. To get Job to understand. You don't trust him because he's blessed you. You don't trust him because he seems to be against you. You trust him for who he is. And all God's people said,